Good morning, everybody. Oh, good morning, everybody. Yeah, here we are. We're at church. This is great. And we are so happy to see you. We're so glad you're here. And we are going to start off the message this morning with a little fun experiment. It's called Faith or Flinch. And we're going to see if Carrie will have faith or flinch when uh, something comes at him. Because, you see, I have here a, um, a little device that's used to throw T-shirts into crowds or to um, use, throw pack, practice tennis balls out. But I have it loaded with a nice, juicy orange. And I'm going to see uh, how Carrie does with that. Some orange juice for breakfast is okay with me because I'm standing here behind a protective wall and... In just a moment, Chris is going to shoot that orange at me, and I'm going to try not to flinch, or at least try not to scream like a two-year-old. So we're going to see how this goes. And I feel so confident that Carrie is going to have faith. I mean, after all, I'm his wife, and he knows I love him. He's a pastor, and all of you guys are watching. Ah! <laughs> Yo! Woo! Good job, babe. <laughs> You're good at that. You scare me. Oh, that never gets old. Wow. <laughs> she loves that, and I can't get used to it. Woo. In fact, um, I told the guys that I wanted to show it in slow motion because I was just sure that I was going to be able not to flinch. But uh, now I've got to show it in slow motion just like I did last night and totally embarrassed myself. So let's watch this great man of faith. This great man of faith whose reflexes aren't what they used to be. I mean, it's like three seconds later, yeah! You know. And you knew it was coming. And I knew it was coming, it didn't matter. Um, we played this game, Faith or Flinch, with some of our pastors and team this week, but we made it even more interesting because uh, we kept them backstage where they didn't know what was going on until it was their turn to come out so they wouldn't know what to expect. And then we told them that a tennis ball would shoot out. Not too fast, but just a little tennis ball would shoot out. And, and then we handed them some items that we wanted them to hold, some interesting items to make it more enjoyable to watch. So just watch. Great job, guys. Yeah, a lot of faith. I think Pastor Daniel, our campus pastor at Atascacita, did the best, uh, but even he flinched just a little bit. I mean, even though we knew we were behind a protective glass wall that we couldn't be hurt, we still flinched. The fear mechanism in our brain overrode the part of our brain that logically told us that we're completely safe behind that protective glass wall. And you can't help it when something smashes into your life that fills you with fear, and you can't help when or what circumstance smashes into your life that fills you with fear, but then you get to choose. You get to choose whether you focus on what your five senses are telling you or you focus on God's truth, and it makes all the difference. And we're in this series, this really church-wide adventure we're calling The Gift of One Day that's based on our new book, The Gift of One Day, which is about the lessons we learned from our grandson Jude, who lived on this earth for one day before he left it. But the way he lived taught us how to live each and every day. 
And one of the most important lessons that we learned on our journey with Jude is that fear and faith can't occupy the same space. Fear and faith can't occupy the same space. You can't help it when a fearful circumstance comes into your life and your emotions fill you with fear. That fear mechanism in your brain overrides everything else and you're filled with fear, but then you get to choose what you focus on. And you better choose wisely because whatever you focus on will expand. You focus on fear and fear will give birth to more fear. Focus on God's truth Focus on your faith, and that faith will grow into more faith. And so what I want us to do today is open our Bibles to Philippians chapter one, because here the Apostle Paul tells us the secret to focusing on the right things that build your faith and overcome fear. Would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church, and follow along with me? When we're experiencing difficult times and pain and loss and hurt, it's so easy to be overcome with fear. But God says it doesn't have to be that way. It's all about your focus, so let's look at it. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to, achieve, to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Dear God, I pray today that no matter what we're going through, and I don't know the pain and the hurt in everyone's lives, but you do. But I do know, Lord, that every one of us carry hurt and pain stresses and struggles, and Lord, those struggles and stresses and losses and pain don't have to fill us with fear. And just like we see from the Apostle Paul who was filled with peace and joy in the middle of his pain, I pray that you would fill us right now with your peace and your joy that can't be explained by anyone in this world, that the world just can't understand Lord, it only comes from you. Do it for your glory, Lord Jesus. Work miracles, Lord, inside us. I pray that it would start inside and move out. And we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I am so excited that we are looking at this book of Philippians today because it's my favorite book in the Bible. It always has been. I love this book. It's just a short little book, four chapters. And it's so great because it gives clear, practical ways to live a life that pleases Jesus. And so to understand this book of Philippians, we need to understand the guy who wrote it, who was Paul. 
We need to understand what he was doing, where he was at, for this really to make sense and um, to really grab all the power in this book. Now, Paul was completely focused. I mean, he had one goal in life, and that was to share the gospel. The one thing he wanted to do was share about his Savior. That was it. He was like an Olympic athlete, completely focused on the goal. Everything he did was focused on telling people about Jesus. And in this perusal of attaining his goal, he had encountered all kinds of trouble. I mean, he had had rocks thrown at him. He'd been whipped. He had been beaten. He'd been shipwrecked three times. He had lived in freezing cold circumstances. He'd been cold and hungry. He'd been betrayed by friends. He'd done hard labor, but you know, nothing was stopping him. He was going to tell about Jesus. And so he went to Rome because he couldn't wait. That's the center of the world at that time. It's the Roman world. He went to Rome because he wanted to tell everyone about Christ. And now he gets to Rome and he's arrested. As soon as he starts to talk about Jesus, he is arrested and he finds himself in a prison cell. It's kind of a carved out of a rock prison cell. I've actually been in it and it is cold and depressing and damp, even without the bad smells there must have been, even without being chained to a guard like he was. See, he was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. So on top of all the other discomfort, there was no privacy. I mean, he was there all the time, chained to a guard, shackled there. And so you would expect the book of Philippians, knowing what you do about where he was and what had happened when he wrote it, you would expect it to be filled with all kinds of bitterness and disappointment. I mean, I think about how I would feel, and I'd think, God, I was doing everything I could to serve you, and look where you put me. You put me in this prison cell, and if you would just work it out so I could be out of here, I'd be telling all kinds of people about you. But, you know, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why are you not doing what I needed you to do? Why aren't you letting me pursue my goal? It's a good one. God, I love you. And instead of this, though, and to me, this is one of the most radical things in the whole Bible. I love that the Bible is so factually true and tells us about real people. But Paul, instead of complaining, instead of being bitter, he writes to his friends, and he writes the most joy-filled book in the whole Bible. It's just bursting with joy. His friends, you see, uh, in Philippi were worried about how he was doing. I mean, they loved him. They'd sent him off to go and tell about Jesus, and now they hear he's in a Roman prison. And they know that he could be beaten, he could be tortured, he could be killed at any time. So they're extremely concerned, and he writes a letter to them, and he says, guys, hold it. You're looking at this all wrong. These chains, they're great. These chains are great, and let me tell you why. It's because I'm chained to a prison guard 24 hours a day. I have a captive audience. I mean, there's always a guy that I can tell about Jesus, and he has to listen. I mean, for a long time. See, these prison guards were rotated out on their shifts. Every time there was a shift change, a new guard would come and be chained to Paul. And so he just took advantage of it. He knew that, okay, my one goal in life is to tell people about Jesus. So if this is who I'm in front of, this must be the person that I'm supposed to tell about. 
He said, these chains are great. They wanted to shut me up, but instead, they gave me a pulpit. They gave me a place to preach. And instead of focusing on all the hard stuff, even though the hard stuff was very real, you could not be living in that stone cell and not experience extreme physical deprivation. But instead of focusing on that, he chose what he would focus on. He chose that he was going to focus not on what he hoped would happen in the future, but on what God was doing in that very moment. In other words, Paul chose faith over fear. He chose it over fear, and at any given time, we get the same choice. We get to choose it because, as Carrie said, fear and faith can't occupy the same space. They can't be in the same space. We choose one or the other, and so Paul made his choice. He didn't deny that this was a rough physical situation, but he said, but yeah, this is happening, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is, the overriding thing is, is that my one goal in life, I'm getting to achieve that because I'm getting to tell about Christ. He didn't choose his circumstances, but he did choose his focus. And we have the same choice every day. And there's a big difference between denying what's going on and saying, yes, this is real and it's hard, but yet there's a purpose here. There's a purpose, and the overriding purpose of our lives as believers is to spread the gospel, to advance the gospel, to serve Jesus Christ. And so that's what he gets to do. And he, Paul even says, this is a win-win situation for me. I cannot lose. I mean, if they do kill me, if I die, I get to go be with Christ. And if they don't kill me, I get to talk about him. I get to tell people about him. So either way, I win. I win either way. No matter what happens, Christ is glorified in me. And that is the reason for my existence. Uh, Paul redefined success because he was saying that success was not getting what he wanted. I mean, his goal in going to Rome was not to land in prison. His goal was to get to preach about Christ. But his success was not defined by what he thought his plans might be. It was defined by being used by God. And in the same way, God has taught us that through our journey with Jude. Because he's taught us that even though this story was not written the way we would have written it, not by a long shot, yet God's name is glorified. The gospel is being advanced. And in the end, it wasn't our circumstances that changed. It was us. And when fear smashes into your life, there are three faith builders that you have to focus on. And when you focus on these faith builders, everything changes. The first one is God's promises. That's because God's promises are more reliable than my feelings. I can't let my feelings dictate what I do because I can't totally trust my five senses. They can mislead me. If fear fills my life when I need to choose faith. It makes me want to run when I need to stand strong. And so I have to choose to let God fill me with his Holy Spirit and focus on his word. We're filled with fear when we're focused on what our five senses are reflecting to us and telling us. But we're filled with faith when we focus on what God's promises tell us. And there's so many promises in God's word. There are over 7,000 of them. And I'm not saying your pain is not real. 
I'm not saying that that problem is not overwhelming at times. I'm not saying that your struggle is not a true struggle. What I'm saying is your pain doesn't nullify God's promises. God's promises are more real than your circumstances. And so we just wanted to choose some promises from Philippians. As Chris said, it's her favorite book in the Bible and one of mine as well because it's just so filled with God's promises and joy. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Circle the word all. If you're a Christ follower, God says, I will meet all your needs. That's every one of them. You know, does that include, um, you know, mortgage payments? Yeah, what all does that include? All includes all. God says, I will meet all your needs. If you put God first in your life, he says, I'll meet all your needs. I will meet those financial needs that you have. But most importantly, I'll meet needs that money can't buy. Do you need peace in the middle of anxiety? God says, I'll give you my peace according to my riches. Do you need strength in the middle of your weakness? God says, I'll give you my strength. What is it that you need? You need provision? God says, I'll give you my provision. Whatever you need, God will give it to you. And so your assignment this week is to memorize this verse. If you haven't already, what you want to do is read God's promises, recite God's promises so you can remember God's promises. And when a circumstance fills you with fear, you can't help that, but then you get to choose. Are you going to focus on that fear or on God's promises that are more reliable than your feelings? Let's take a look at this next verse. In Philippians 4, verse 8, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Now, I used to think of this verse is a kind of umbrella over the crummy stuff that happens in my life. I would think, well, this hurt me, or this situation isn't fair, or for this reason I'm experiencing pain, or I'm frustrated and I don't know what to do, but God is good. And that's true, but there's so much more here. Paul is teaching us a truth There is so much deeper, and I had never caught it until we got to walk through this with Jude, and he taught me something. Because I will be honest, the way I used to think never really worked for me. I kind of used it almost almost like a ship's wheel that, you know, if, if you let go of a ship's wheel that has all the spokes around it, let go, it will just kind of go on autopilot wherever it was headed. And so if you think of that as um, my feelings, my natural human uh, thoughts, when something comes into my mind or something happens to me that makes me feel bad, feel fear, feel anxious, feel worried, I would say, oh, but God is good, and I'd turn the wheel. And that would work for a little while. But then, inevitably, whenever I let go, whenever I stopped focusing on God is good, I let go, and then the wheel would just spin back, and I'd be right back in the same place, worrying, being anxious, being fearful about whatever was happening in my life. But here is what Paul teaches us. He teaches us that that autopilot that we have uh, that keeps pulling us back, if we just try to say, oh, but overall, God is good, 
here's the thing. Most of the time, hard stuff in life is happening in very specific detail. I mean, when I'm afraid, it's because a specific thing happened to me. Not just a general fear, but something happened and it made me fearful. The same when I'm frustrated, the same when I'm worried. In general, there's something that happened and now I have feelings that I'm not sure what to do with. Um, So it looks like this. It's not just, oh, I have some money trouble. It's, well, here's what happened. Uh, My car broke down. It's going to cost $1,000 to get it fixed, and I don't have a way to get to work. Or instead of saying, oh, I have marriage troubles, you'd say, well, I am fighting with my spouse, and we keep landing on the same things. We can't seem to connect, and now it's affecting the kids. And there's very specific things, actually. And so the blanket approach wasn't really working for me. And with Jude, B, instead of just saying health problems, it was very specific. His kidneys weren't working, and they were not going to sustain life outside the womb. Therefore, we needed to try to uh, figure out this experimental treatment. I mean, there was very specific. Hard stuff happens in specific. And we worry, we complain, we fear, we lie, we cheat. Everything happens with specific words, specific actions, real-time stuff. We live in these bodies of ours that are always thinking and saying and doing things, and that's the way we interact, and that's the way hard stuff comes. But my autopilot, unchecked, always goes back to the hurtful, the fearful, the worried. But Jude taught me that fear and faith can't occupy the same space, but, and this is important, so get this, fear and faith cannot occupy the same space, but good and hard usually do. The good stuff in life and the hard stuff collide, and that's what happened with Jude. The very best and the toughest We're right there all at once. And so when the hard stuff comes at us in very specific detail, doesn't it make sense that those specific ways, the specific way we walk throughout life, those are the same ways that God wants to rescue us, the same way he wants to redeem us, the same way he wants to work in our lives? In other words, in focusing on the good, the true, the honorable, the gracious, in the details, in the hard stuff we're going through. So now... My car that broke down and cost, will cost $1,000 to fix, and is meaning that I don't have a way to work, becomes, wow, God, thank you that I have a car. I mean, most people in the world, by a long shot, will never own a car. They'll never have any vehicle that they can drive. And then, I have a job. Do you know how many people in the world would love to have a job? I have a job to go to. And... Wow, I have a coworker who's willing to pick me up. And as I rode to work with them today, we got to talking and I realized, wow, they're having trouble in their lives. Maybe you want me to want to use me, God, in their life. You see, it shifts my whole focus. It doesn't change the basic facts of my car's broken, I still need to meanwhile be working on getting it fixed and all those things. But my entire focus has changed to, okay, God, in this situation, in this circumstance that you have allowed in my life, what are you doing now? Okay, God, what's up now? And that was Paul's response when he was there in prison. It's, okay, God, what now? What are you doing? And learning to consistently refocus your mind on the good parts, on what is going on right there in the middle of the tough details will change everything.
so true and so powerful um, and so practical. We have to put it into our lives. So the first thing is focus on God's promises, the goodness of God in the middle of your pain because it's right there, as Chris said, in specific. And, and then the second thing I focus on is God's power because God's power is greater than my circumstances. Philippians 4.13, a passage you probably know well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Circle that word all again. He's saying that he will give you the strength to face every hard thing that you're facing. Whatever comes into your life, God will give you the power to face it and to walk through it and to overcome it. You see, we forget how powerful and strong God is. We just tend to focus in on our own weaknesses. We focus in on the things that we don't have instead of focusing on what God does have and what he wants to give to us and through us. We need to have a perspective on how great God is, but we forget that so often. We can't even fathom how great and powerful God is in our little finite minds. But let me give you just a little bit of perspective today. Scientists now tell us there are over 100 billion galaxies in our visible universe. And it just keeps going because science, you know, oh, it must be this many. You know, it's 20 billion. Now it's 50 billion. Now 100 billion. Now it's over that. And, and I've heard some scientists say that it could be over 300 billion galaxies in our visible universe. And within those over 100 billion galaxies, there is one tiny galaxy in a spiral shape that we call the Milky Way. And in the Milky Way, there are hundreds of billions of stars but one of those stars is an average size star that we call our sun. And we live on this 8,000 mile diameter blue ball that rotates around that average star. So let me recap. We live on this tiny little blue ball that we call Earth that rotates around an average star that's just one of hundreds of billions of stars in a tiny galaxy called the Milky Way that's just one galaxy and over 100 billion galaxies in our visible universe, what I'm saying is God is bigger and greater than we could ever fathom. And when I get just a glimpse of how big and great God is, my problems get real small. And here's the thing. God is greater and more powerful than you could ever fathom, but God is closer than you can ever imagine. He's close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted and your heart is bleeding, he's closer than he's ever been. He's right there and he cares. And he has the power to do something about it. And so I need to focus in on his power. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower, he lives inside you. That means the power that created this universe in a split second of light and energy that created all matter within a second, lives inside you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside you with his Holy Spirit. But we don't think about that. We think about all of our weaknesses and shortcomings and what we don't have, and instead of what we do have, it's Jesus Christ in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So first, focus on God's promises. Second, you focus in on God's power. But third, focus on God's purpose because God's purpose is higher than my understanding will ever be. See, God tells us what to do, but he doesn't always explain it. 
He doesn't explain everything. He wants us to learn to trust him. So we have to focus on this fact. There's no problem that can stop God's purpose for your life. Even when I can't see it, even when I don't understand it, just like Paul in that prison, even when he couldn't see the ultimate purpose, he just obeyed God anyway, knowing that God did have an ultimate purpose. Many times when we're going through pain, we ask why, and it's okay to ask why. Why God, why God, why are you doing this? We've all done it, but that doesn't help us at all. We think if we knew all the answers why, then it would comfort us, but it wouldn't. And one day we will know all the answers, but what comforts us is Christ's presence. You can know all the answers about what you're going through, all the reasons why, and maybe it would make sense, but it wouldn't comfort you any. The question that we ought to ask that's helpful is not why, but what. What, Lord, do you want me to do in this painful situation? What, Lord, do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How can I obey you in this? And when I obey, when I don't understand it, that's when I'm saying, God, I trust your purpose is higher than mine, and that's when God begins to work in your life. Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. He was 75 years of age. He was getting ready to retire, and God says, you're not gonna retire. I have a new place for you to go and a new destiny. I want you to pack up everything you've got, pack up your family, and I want you to go to this new land that I have for you. You're gonna be the father of a great nation. And Abraham says, where is this land? And God says, I'll tell you when you get there. Just go. He was going without knowing. Joshua was told by God, if you wanna win the victory in, against this great city, of Jericho, then you need to march around the city seven times. But he didn't tell him what would happen. He didn't tell him how he would win the victory. He just said, obey. Sometimes God calls us to obey when we don't understand it, when we can't feel it, when we can't see it. And that's because God wants you to learn to obey him, not because you understand everything, but because you trust him. Because you trust him, that he knows what's best for you. You trust him, and that's called faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the audacity of faith. It's the audacity of obeying God, even if I don't see it, even if I don't understand it, even if my five senses are telling me it's all wrong, even when I don't feel it at all, I obey God because I trust him that his purpose is higher than my purpose. Let's look at this verse in Philippians 1.6 being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God tells you today, the work I started in you, I'm gonna finish it. There's no pain that's gonna stop my purpose. There's no problem in your life that's gonna stop my purpose for you. All you have to do is just surrender to me. There's no mess that you've made that can keep me from fulfilling the purpose that I have for you if you'll just step right back into my will. Isn't that amazing? God says, I'll do this. You trust me, you just obey. You take the next step, and I'll take care of the big picture. You see, we can't judge God's faithfulness based on whether or not we're getting everything we want. Paul ended up in a cold jail cell in Rome. I'm sure that as he was sailing to Rome, he thought he was going to be preaching in the Colosseum. After all, his goal was to preach to thousands, to preach to as many people as he could. So that would have been the logical place for him to dream about preaching in his day. And yet, he ends up chained in a prison cell. It, almost, it looks like he's been forgotten, but God had a plan. And God's plan was that 
Paul, the most on fire guy in the world at that time, living for Jesus Christ, couldn't wait to share his story, couldn't wait to give his testimony, is chained to these guards. And the Roman guards that were chained to him were actually chained in part of that Roman government. And so what happened is those guards came to trust Jesus Christ as their savior. And then their families did. And everything started spreading. The gospel started spreading throughout the Roman government. And God changed the Roman government from the inside out. He has a very good reason for wanting Paul there. Paul couldn't see it at the time. Paul just trusted, okay, this is the guy in front of me. I guess this is who I'm supposed to tell about Jesus. But God's purpose was overriding and being worked out all the time. Here is what Paul had to say about it when he lands in this Roman prison cell. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. The message actually prospered through, not just in spite of, but through and because of those difficult circumstances. I mean, it turns out God had bigger plans than Paul. And then look at this last verse. Then, because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. I need that. I need uh, control over how I think and feel. And the answer this verse tells us is found in the peace that only Christ Jesus and belonging to him can provide. Belonging to Christ Jesus means that no matter what, I know that his plan will come about and it's better than mine. Even when I don't see it, even when I can't understand it, even when it hurts, his plan is better than mine. You know, about a year and a half after Jude went to be with the Lord, Josh and Kelly had a little girl. And as you can imagine, Every day of that pregnancy, they had to fight fear because they never knew if things might turn. They were scared of that happening, but they said, no, we're just going to keep moving forward in faith. Okay, God, keep getting us through one day at a time, just for today, just for today, Lord. But finally, Mary Love was born. What a joy. The pregnancy went well. The birth went great. And they brought home this beautiful little baby girl. But guess what? It was hard. If you've ever had a newborn, you know. It was hard. All of a sudden, sleep is just a distant memory. They couldn't string together more than a few hours. Mary Love had her days and nights mixed up. And they were doing everything they could, trying to stay on top of it, trying to keep going. Uh, And at every turn, They were reminded of Jude. Mary Love, when she was born, looked like her brother. And even through the things that they were doing that were wonderful, you know, you you come home with your baby and and you're doing the feedings and all the things that go along with that couldn't help but remind them of what they didn't get to do with Jude. But I went over to their house a few weeks after Mary Love was born one day to see if I could uh, step in for a few hours and, and help out. And Josh came to the door, and his hair is sticking up in every direction. 
His clothes are completely rumpled, just head to toe. He has a bunch of spit up on one shoulder. And he's holding Mary Love, who is red-faced and crying in that grating way that only a newborn can. You know, when it goes, <laughs> And I stepped into his house, and Kelly keeps a beautiful, lovely home. But on this day, it looked like a baby bomb had gone off. There's just diapers and bottles and stuff and things and laundry piled up. It's just, they're clearly just trying to keep their heads above water. And Josh said, hey, mom, come on in. And uh, he said, Mary Love, I need to change Mary Love before I hand her off. And I followed him into Mary Love's nursery. He started changing her diaper. And she's still crying. We're trying to talk over her as he fills me in on where she's at. Okay, last time she ate was at this time. She slept at this time. And he takes her diaper off, and she poops. <laughs> and suddenly, I see my son standing there, rumpled from head to toe, exhausted. I mean, I knew they'd only eaten cold cereal for a few weeks now, hadn't gotten sleep. And now he has poop on his hands. <laughs> And, he, and Josh looked up and he said, you know, Kelly and I were just talking and this is pretty great. You see, he, he didn't lose the gift. They didn't lose sight of the gift. Jude was a gift, no more so or less than Mary Love. Mary Love is a gift. You see, it's all a gift. All of our stuff, all of our good things and our hard things, it's all a gift. And God can use all of it for his glory. And we know that our hard stuff, we're not unique in that. We all have hard stuff. This, we're sharing this because it happens to be ours. But if you're breathing right now, then I know there's hard stuff in your life. I know there's experiences that you've been through that are hard and they hurt God doesn't ask you to stick your head in the sand and pretend everything's wonderful while you're dying on the inside. He's saying to you, through Paul, hey, even though it looks like all around you, circumstances can't get any worse, I am working. I still have a plan, and my plan is a good one. And I am for you, not against you. I love you. I'm coming after you. He wants you to know that. Take hold of the gift. Really, our whole desire, what Chris and I want more than anything, is for you to know Jude's Savior. And if you've never received Christ, the greatest gift of all, then there's no way you can really experience joy, no way you can really experience peace that the world can't understand, there's no way you can experience all the greatest treasures, even through your tears. You see, because joy is, is something that comes from within, from Christ inside you. It has nothing to do with your circumstances outside you. Everything around you could be chaos. Everything around you can look painful. But on the inside, you can be filled with joy and peace. And you can't buy that. It only comes from Christ and our whole desire our whole desire for the rest of our lives is to let everyone know Jude's Savior. 
So if you've never received Christ, this is your chance. I want us all to bow our heads right now. And if you would say, Carrie, I don't know that I know Jude Savior. I don't know that, that I've really, at a point in time in my life, received Christ into my life. Then while everyone's head is bowed and our eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand so that I could see it and we could pray for you something? I see that hand and that one and that one. Yes, just right, just, yeah, I see those hands. Just raise your hand. Don't, yeah, I see that. Raise your hand. That's it. Yeah, I see that hand back there. Yes, I see those hands. And in the balcony, yes. Yeah, I see those hands. It's not too late to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Something happens when you say, I want you, Lord Jesus. Yeah, I see that hand. And I want to pray for you. And first, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you raised your hand, or maybe even if you didn't have the, the courage to do that, Still pray this prayer silently to God as if you're the only one in this place. And he'll hear you. Just pray this. Dear Jesus Christ, I want to know you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. As best as I know how, I, I ask you to come into my life through your Holy Spirit. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and I receive your free gift of salvation in heaven one day. And I want you to be the boss. I want you to be, Lord, the life manager. I want you to be my Lord and guide me from now on, one step at a time. Give me your strength and your power and your peace. I need you. Now help me grow in my faith. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you, and I know so many raised their hands and received Christ. It's powerful to see. The greatest miracle of all is a life change, and you may not feel any different, but I'm telling you, Christ is in your life, and you are different because of him. It's not about your feelings, it's about your faith, and it's about the truth of his word. He always keeps his promises. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us, and we give because we love him. And so I'm asking our ushers to come at this time. And as you give, give in faith, knowing his promise that Jesus said, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For with the measure you use, it will be poured back into you. And so you cannot give God. And then secondly, pray for him to multiply the gifts, to meet the needs of hurting people in our area and around the world. God's doing some amazing things through you, Woodlands Church. So let's give out of a heart of love. You can give through our PushPay app on your phone. You can give online. You can give through a check. You can give, but make it consistent. Make it a discipline because it's part of worship. So Lord, bless our giving. We pray that you would just give us a new perspective. Thank you, Lord, we get to give. Thank you, Lord, that we get to experience your blessings today. Thank you, Lord, that everything that we give to you is, comes from what you've given to us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.